Welcome to the Sanctus NYC Message Podcast. We are the young adult community of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, built on the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us today as we look to God to lead us into the fullness of the life that he has for us. Amen. Okay, so here's the initial starting thought for tonight. So when you are stuck or you're just in a bad situation, the most essential thing in getting the situation fixed or finding the answer is correctly identifying the problem. If you don't know what the problem is, how will you get out of the situation, right? And so you look in your life, I'm sure you could even resonate. There have been moments in your life where you thought something was the issue, but then you ended up figuring out it was something entirely different or way deeper, right? I was thinking, I was reminded this week, like, do you know that for literally hundreds of years, doctors thought that the best way to treat people who were sick was by just letting them bleed out? (laughs) It was like, oh, you're sick? All right, let's just cut you open and just lie there and let all of the blood leave your body and you're going to be good. And so people who are like suffering with insane illness are just sitting there like gray and just like, and the doctors are like, no, that's how it's supposed to feel. They have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) Like I was thinking this week, even I had like friends growing up where I would go to like stay over their house for a weekend. Does anyone here? growing up had a mom who had like one thing that was the solution to everything. Whereas like you could have pneumonia, you could have a brain aneurysm and they're just like, no, just throw some Vicks vapor rub on it. You are good. Get some Vaseline. And like, for some reason though, when they would do it, it would kind of work though. Like if you put it on yourself, it wouldn't. But the moment that your mom anoints you with the Vicks vapor rub, your brain aneurysm just disappears. And so, yeah, when you have a serious condition, a lot of times in life, we're stuck because we actually don't see the problem for what it is. We think it's something, it is something entirely different. And because of that, we don't know where to find the real answer. And so tonight, I think that applies directly to our relationship with God. So many people here in this room I have had conversations with over the last couple weeks, and I really feel like God just put this thing in my heart for us to talk about. We need to understand what makes us stuck, and how do we live in the life Jesus died for us to live in. We can't be content with anything below that. Like, if you're a Christian, but you're living in just cycles of your life just blowing up over and over and over again, no peace, consumed by anxiety, depressed, it's like, you really think that's what Jesus died on a cross for you to have? So what are we going to do? Just not try to figure out? The the beautiful thing is God has given us his word, and in that he gives us the problem and the answer. And so instead of just going through the same cycles, let's take a step back and see what is God speaking to us? What way does he want us to direct the focus of what we think is off to see the real truth that will set us free? And so tonight I want to start with uh, a verse in... uh, I believe the Romans one, the first one that we have. Here we go. So here is what the Bible lays out as the deepest, most essential battle that we are all facing today. 
And this is one of the ways that in not understanding this, we find ourselves stuck. So in Romans 8, it says this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. All right, so I want to just unpack this real quick. So this verse is talking now to Christians. Like I just said, the point of this entire community, what we believe in this church is this. When you put your faith in Jesus, not commit to becoming more religious, going to church more, reading the Bible more. When you put your faith in the gospel, Jesus forgives you and then fills you and transforms your life. So you, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you have two natures now. What is a nature? A nature is this, it's within us, there's, again, the Bible says there's two natures. Each of them have their own characteristics, desires, drives. They're two modes of being that exist within each of our hearts now. And so the first one that I want to talk about is this. The Bible, that passage, it's talking about the flesh. So what is the flesh? If you have not grown up in church, that can sound like an interesting kind of strange religious word. But this is a word that we see throughout the New Testament. It's something that it's so important that we understand. So what is the flesh? The flesh is another word for what we just read. It is the sinful nature that we have inherited from Adam. Being born into this world, there is this heart bent away from God that all of us have. The Bible says our flesh is controlled by sin. So Luke naturally, apart from God, is not interested in God at all. Luke, naturally apart from God, wants everything except God. I want to actually be God. I want to be the God of my own life. And so naturally, there is this twisted compass inside of me. These desires, these ideas about what life is supposed to be like, where it's bent in the exact opposite direction. The things that feel good to me are destructive. They're the opposite of what I was made to walk in, and that lead to real life. What that verse says is, the flesh leads to death. Another passage you can look at, there's a bunch of passages all through the Bible that say, sin leads to death. And so all of us, we have this skewed understanding that we are born with of what is right, what's wrong, what's good, what's best for us. The things we chase after are often the worst things for us. And it's funny because a lot of times when you talk to people and you try to get a feel of like, Do you think you're a good person? It's like maybe a lot of us here today or at least some point in our life, we've all believed that we are a really good person, right? You ever see that like interview mode that people have where it's like, what is your greatest weakness? It's like, you know, I just just love too hard. It's like, 
I just, I know, like, I should only be working this much, but I work that much. And it's like, I'm just, like, too much of a giver. So, like, people just kind of step all over me because I'm just so generous and so kind where it's like, I need to be a little more selfish. It's like a lot of times that's the way we see ourselves. That's the way we see our biggest weakness is that we're just a little too good in a mean world. Where the thing I want to bring to you today, and this is so important that you see this, is what makes you good? What standard do you have that you can look at and say, this is what makes me a good person? Is that you feel like you're a good person? Is that people around you might say, oh, he's a really good person. He does charity. He, oh, I, I adopted a dog instead of getting a dog from a puppy store, so I'm an actual good person. <laughs> Sorry, not trying to fire shots right now. PETA is going to be chasing me down. Um, we, we, is it just that society has a certain standard of what it means to be a good person and you check the boxes? Again, none of those things can be proven or justified. What is goodness apart from God? If there's not a God who establishes the standard of what is good, what's right, what's wrong, then all we have is preferences and ideas about ourselves that we can't really prove or justify. The ultimate standard of who is good, what is goodness, is God. And God looks at every single one of this in the room and says, you are not a good person. Even the things that you do, that you feel like you could pat yourself on the back for, like that was a really good deed. You just gave money to a homeless person. You just helped your friend move. Even in all of those things, there is a tinge of selfishness and self-exaltation that colors every good deed that you do. God says, whatever other people might look at you and say, wow, that person's really good, I see through all of that right to your heart. And I see that what you were made for for you to be down here and I be your God, you have usurped. You have kicked me out of my rightful place and you have tried to be the God of your own life. You have done things repeatedly over and over again in your conscience, violating it, knowing that it's wrong, but continuing to do it because of what it does for you selfishly. God looks at all of that and he says, if you think that you have some goodness and that I came and saved you and died on the cross for, your, for your, your life because I saw some innate inner goodness. Jesus didn't die on a cross for us because he saw how good we are. He died on a cross for us because of how good he is. Not because he saw some untapped potential. The Bible says literally our hearts were bent away from him in every way, deserving to be cut off from him. And even in that, he put his life on the line. He took the separation punishment that we deserve because of his love for us, not because of how good we were for him. And you see, if you don't understand, if you are operating from this thing, and a lot of times I talk to people here where it's like we're saved, we've been believers for a little bit, we're still kind of operating from that mentality of like, no, I am like a, a really good person though. Like I have a couple weaknesses. God is like, you don't understand. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the picture I'm just trying to paint for us right now is this. Not my opinion, not just what a church says. What the word of God speaks over our life is this. Me on my own is hopeless. The things that ultimately I'm going to choose, the 
futures that I'm going to pursue, the choices that I'm going to make are going to be destructive. It's going to bring destruction to those around me and ultimately myself. What I, it's like, believe in your heart. Every Disney movie you've ever watched, believe in your heart. God says that very action is going to lead you off a cliff. A lot of us here, I'm sure, can see the fruit of that in our lives already. It's like, you've done things your way. How has that worked out for you? Maybe what you thought was your friend, which was your feelings, has really been your enemy this entire time. And that's what God is saying to us tonight. And so the picture here is our hearts bent away from God. We don't even deserve a relationship with God. Chasing things that seem good, feel good, but ultimately destroy us. And this is the sentence for our life. There's no hope. God says. It's important that we see that because that makes what comes next, the hope that there is in Jesus, so beautiful. God seeing our hopeless, self-destructive patterns that are unbreakable in our heart came, we know the story, died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. But there's something deeper that I want to give us a moment just to think about today for a second. At Pentecost, we know the story, people have been seeking God, and in this crazy moment that's like impossible to even fully understand and articulate, God comes to those who've put their faith in Jesus, and he lives inside of them. The holy, unapproachable, beautiful, outside of existence, time, space, massive beyond comprehension, God comes into this little unworthy, selfish self and says, your heart is now my home. And the reason he does that, the reason why Jesus even says, it's better that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come inside of you. The reason this happens is because apart from him doing that, even if I'm forgiven, I'm still stuck with myself. I could get a billion new blank slates from now until the day I die. And each time I'm going to make that thing nasty. Because, again, my heart, I'm not just somebody who sinned. I have a sinful nature. I chase after the destructive things. And God said, the only hope for your life isn't that I give you a fresh start and then you try harder to be religious and then I might help you a little about here and there and then you'll live a good life. God is like, no, the only hope of your life now is me filling you and you living through me. That is the only way anything here is going to change. And that's exactly what God did. And so God, Jesus himself, comes and to those who've put their faith in him, fills our hearts. And he says, now where before you could do nothing, through me, if you live through me, this nature that I've given you, you will live like Jesus. You're not going to be defined by your destructive patterns, the same old, same old, you are going to be defined. The life you see in Jesus, what he lived in his word, that is what I'm going to produce inside of you. And so that is the unreal hope that every single person here who's put their faith in Jesus and been born again has, that you're not left to yourself anymore. If you're here, you need to actually begin to own and ask God to make this real to you. God lives inside of you. And he says, I'm not asking you to do things for me. I'm asking you to do everything now through me. Don't try to be holy. Don't try to be good. Don't try to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. And then I'm going to bless you. Then I'm going to love you. No, I love you. I'm with you. You can't do a single thing. Now learn to depend on me, live through me, and you will see victory, holiness, peace. Let's put up this next verse really quick. This will say it much better than I can. 
in Galatians. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So this is God saying, you apart from me, this is what you do. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So that continues to paint this picture now. Let's just backtrack for a second. You're a Christian. You've been born again. You've put your faith in Jesus. But you have two natures. You have the sinful self that Jesus came to save you from. And now you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you who says, when you let me lead you, when you let me control you, I do all, every beautiful thing that life could consist of, I do through you. Wouldn't it be amazing if the moment we put our faith in Jesus, our flesh just disappeared? That we didn't have temptation or any desire to turn from God, do our own thing ever again. Like, yeah, that would be amazing, but that is not the reality of the life that we're living. Here we are, every single person in this room has put their faith in Jesus with two natures at war against each other in your heart. It literally says, constantly fighting each other, wanting the opposite of what the other wants. A way to simplify this is this. Anything that comes out of you that's bad and sinful is you. Anything that comes out of you that's holy and beautiful and godly is the spirit of God through you. There is no such thing as godly self-improvement in the kingdom of God. The flesh sinful nature that you have, that he reiterates you are going to have until the day you die, it doesn't go away. It doesn't become better. It doesn't become straight through of God can control and live through you. There is no you improving or getting better. There is either you are still living out of your sinful nature and all of the obvious things that blow up your life are coming out of it. And it's like, yeah, that's you apart from God. Or you're seeing the beautiful promises of the gospel fulfilled through your life. And that is only because of the spirit of God working through your life. There's not, there's not a moment that real love can come through your life and you claim it and be like, nah, like I went off. <laughs> like I, like nobody could love like a thing. That is the Holy Spirit at work through you. Anything that is good is of him. Anything that is evil is of our flesh. So, why is it so hard for us to walk this thing out? 
Why are there days where you are so discouraged because you find yourself slipping into the same thing over, over, over again? Feeling hopeless, being like there's got to be some other solution out here that I'm not thinking of. And you start hearing some different ideas from this world, even some things creeping into the church where it's like, well, this might make sense of why I'm still stuck. The reality here for all of us is this is a war that's going on inside of you. We can't be naive to this. We can't be ignorant to this, that your desires are gunning to derail the life that Jesus has for you. Your desires apart from God are the enemy of your soul. And because this is death, the flesh, that's not just something that happens once and for all. It's a continual process. When I see my flesh beginning to try to take control or flex in the different situations and battles in life, by the spirit, I have to deal with that thing. And when I don't, that thing takes over and then I find myself blowing things up again. Constantly, I could spend time with God, have a beautiful morning worshiping in the car, but if I take my eyes off Jesus, temptation comes, I don't trust God, I find myself in a place where I'm like, how did that just happen? Has anyone ever been there? War against your soul. These desires that you have in every moment of discomfort, every battle, really, this is an important thing for us to realize. Literally every situation of our life, our flesh wants to somehow take control and get us outside of what God has for us in that moment. And this is a constant thing that we're fighting against. So there is temptation that you and I face on a daily basis. There's actually from now until the day you die. This isn't discouraging. Maybe it is, but I think it's a sobering, important truth. There's not a day that's going to happen from now until the day you die where you're not going to be tempted in some way. There are these desires fighting against the life that God made you for as you trust him. And they are at war against your soul. And now, as we begin to see that more clearly, how we fight, how we stand against these things, can I tell you, temptation, because it's going to happen from now until the day that you die, a lot of people here, we're struggling, and we are going to help me to never feel tempted again so that I don't sin again. Do you realize not once in the entire Bible does God promise to make you never feel temptation again? If you're looking for some kind of deliverance where you're never going to be tempted towards sin again for the rest of your life, you're looking for a non-biblical Christianity. God doesn't promise a life without trials and temptations. He promises you the grace through his spirit to walk through them in victory every time. And that's why for your life today, the answer for the battles of our soul isn't in some cheat code. It's not like, oh, I'm struggling, and if I hit A-A-Y-X-Z, then, and I just keep having to struggle with that sin again for the rest of my life. Nope. The hope for your life is this today. In the middle of the temptation that is facing you, God is like, I am in you and with you, and I'm going to begin to teach you now what it looks like to trust me so there could be no temptation that can take you out from the life that I have for you. Do we receive that today? So let's not seek God. Just like maybe today if I pray hard enough, I'm never going to struggle with this sin again. Instead of that, maybe God is now saying, I've given you my spirit. Now will you trust me and begin to walk in the strength that I'm giving you? Because in reality, what happens in a lot of our lives is this. I don't want to have to live through his spirit. I still want to live through my flesh and be in control of my life. I still want to be able to be the God of my life. But I'm like, but God, help me not to struggle with my sin. 
So essentially what I'm saying to God is, save me from the consequences of me being in control of my life. I'm not going to let you take control of my life. No. Death in my heart. But God, why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you giving me grace to stop doing this? Where are you? And God's like, you don't see how twisted and how blind you are in this moment? A lot of times we ask for God for help to, yeah, keep us being the God of our own lives without consequences. And God is like, when you begin to live through the spirit, when you begin to trust in me and learn what this looks like, you will have every fruit that we just listed. You're going to have power. You're going to have peace. You are going to live the life that I made you for. And so there is to walk in the flesh. A lot of times I don't need help. My own sinful temptations, wanting to be the God of my own life, are constantly trying to assert themselves. But just to paint the full picture here, there are a couple other things that are coming against us and bringing temptation into our lives. Historically, for thousands of years in Christianity, um, people have said that the main enemies of the soul are the flesh, so yourself, the world, and Satan. And so for a second, I want to, let's actually put up that verse from, um, so it says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Inclinations of our sinful nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And so for a second, let's just look at that verse. It's saying that, okay, there is somebody called Satan. There is a devil. There is evil spiritual forces that hate you and are committed to destroying you, seeing your life in God derailed, seeing your misdirected desires reinforced and gratified so that you could be led into destruction. A lot of us, obviously, the thought in our culture of there being a devil, like that feels like movies, that doesn't feel real. But I think, interestingly, one thing that we've begun to see in our generation, as we've become more spiritual, as everybody's spiritual now, right? Everybody plays around with spirituality and is trying a lot of different things. Without being a Christian, a lot of people today are beginning to realize there is evil spiritual forces out there. When you begin to start playing around with spirituality and opening yourself up to certain things, or even just looking at the world, Looking at the evil and the darkness of our culture and the craziness of it. Like the amount of people when you go on TikTok that are beginning to believe certain conspiracies. Satan is running the FBI and he's doing whatever. And you're just like, like, bro, who are you? Where are you getting this? But like you're seeing this begin to blow up in a lot of people's hearts. This awareness that there is dark, evil, spiritual reality. And the crazy thing is when you leave America and you leave the West, you have, if you don't believe Satan is real... Go to a couple places we could tell you to go and see what you find. And so Satan is real. The Bible teaches that this world, he is essentially the God or the commander of this world. So what that means is the institutions of this world, the power structures, the entertainment industries in a lot of ways, the things that shape us in the greatest ways, he is, the Bible says, the commander of. So he has an agenda 
of how he wants to shape culture, shape belief, shape worldview, shape the things that we take in so that through that, we are cut off from the life that God has for us. That rebellion against God becomes the standard of a culture so that good is redefined to bad and vice versa. This is what he is deeply invested in doing. And so when you begin to see that truth, you begin to start looking and saying, well, wait, all of us in so many ways are shaped by the culture that we're in, right? It's like our lives, when you take just a Gen Z kid in New York, it's going to look very different than a Gen Z kid in Laos. There's going to be some similarities with the internet and stuff, but for the, the culture that you're in shapes your life in so many different ways. The patterns and rhythms of your life, the way you engage entertainment, what you view successes are all things that are shaped by the culture. But when you see we are often shaped by the culture, but the culture is shaped by the agendas of What that means is there is much in the culture that we engage with that is actively fighting to destroy the relationship that we have with God. Being in church now for as long as I've been, I can't tell you how many people that I've met where they had like a real thing going with God. But because of the alluring, deceptive lies from the culture that ultimately came from Satan, their emphasis, the things that they thought were important, living for God, finding their life in him, the messaging of the culture creeped into their heart and at first just slowly began to redirect it. And the next thing they know, their faith was shipwrecked. Why? Because they were more shaped by the culture than the spirit of God living inside of them. They stopped giving control and yielding and walking by the spirit leading and controlling them. They began to look at what everybody else around them was saying and were like, yeah, that is right. Yeah, that is what's important. Next thing they know, hopeless, depressed, anxious, life blew up, fell away from God completely, not even sure he's real. How did that happen? Because our heart, the, the culture gives us things that keeps the flesh in power. A lot of the narratives from the culture that are so alluring for our generation, the reason why they're so alluring is because they validate the evil desires that we have inside of us that fight against the life God has for us. What are you allowing yourself to take in? What temptation and lies from the world and from the enemy are you just bringing into your life because everybody else around you is doing that or that's what you've always done? It's like you ever... Every time you sign up for something, you never read the fine print, right? You just sign it. And a lot of times the way we live our lives is everybody else is doing this. This is everybody else's rhythm of life. This is how much time they spend on social media. This is how much, this is the stuff they listen to, watch, take in. This is how they represent themselves. So everybody else is doing it, check, let's go. And you don't come to God and actually slow down and say, God, I don't want my flesh to be in control of my life. If it will, it's going to destroy me. Like, my only hope is in living through you, being led by you, and in that, that's where I'm going to have the real life, right? And so you are at war with temptation from the world, which is the culture that you live in. And that culture is sending narratives that are trying to get you to stop trusting in Jesus, to get you to stop living in the spirit. So it's the flesh, the world, and Satan. Lastly, so the devil, he is working through culture but he also is working with his specific plan for your life. God has a plan for your life, 
the devil has a strategic plan for how he wants to destroy you. The Bible says that the devil is like a lion prowling, looking for who he could devour and destroy. Like if you don't realize that's what's happening here, then you're not going to have the awareness and the sobriety to say, I'm in the middle of a war for my soul right now. If you don't realize somebody is gunning for you, you're not going to be defensive. You're going to be mindless, just going through life, taking in whatever is comfortable and convenient. And before you know it, the thing blows up. There is an enemy who is coming for your life to destroy you. How does he do that? Number one, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. The only language that Satan can speak is lies. And his mission for your life is to get you to not trust what God has promised is true over your life, rather to take everything that points you away from God and saying, this is what's really true. You have to take your life into your own hands. God isn't actually good. No, this is much more. This will bring real wholeness and fulfillment. Chase this. And these lies, when we actually begin to listen to them and trust them, we are not walking in the spirit. And again, it brings the flesh into control, and then destruction comes. Satan is a liar. He also can attack us with temptation. Because he knows, like for me, um, I'm not going to have to be tempted with vegan delicacies. Like if Satan is trying to come at me with that, he got to tighten up a little bit because that's not going to do much. But he knows what buttons to press. He knows. He's, he's seen your life. Demonic forces know where to go, what to do. And in moments of weakness, he brings temptation into your life that seems so alluring, but it's at war against your soul. I want to clarify this point, and this is something that I've been wanting to say for a while. So if you were here, if you're in Sanctus and this is your home, please listen to this today. One thing I want to clarify is what Satan can do, which is what I just said, lie, attack, bring temptation our way, but there's something that he can't do if you are a born-again believer. There's a lot of stuff going around today on TikTok. If you go on TikTok and you're in like the Christian world on TikTok, you are going to see this stuff on a pretty consistent basis. And it's that you can be a Christian, but also have demons inside of you. What I want to say to you is this. If you believe that, Show me one verse in the Bible where you can say and see that there is a Christian who has a demon living inside of them. You're not going to find one. And the verse that I'll give you in return is, greater is he that lives within you than he that's in the world. So for a lot of us here tonight, we need to understand this. Because in this place of hopelessness, fighting against our flesh, feeling stuck, feeling hopeless, you know what one really convenient lie that can validate our hopelessness could be? Oh, well, it's because it's not even really you. It's a demon that has more power over your life than God. And that's why you're stuck. If you have put your faith in Jesus, this is what the Bible teaches. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, then Satan is running laps in your mind. He is, and there's different degrees that he can work in our lives and even fill us as we open up to him. But if you are a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you've been sealed. Jump on the areas of unrepentant sin that you're walking in and pile on and bring greater temptation and lies. But if you see evil coming out of you, it's never because of a demon. It's because that's who you are apart from God. Like if you really think, oh, I can't forgive you, I would be so forgiving. No, you're not. 
The point of what we're saying here is our hearts are bent away from God in every way. In my flesh, I want to do the opposite of what God has for me. And so when you see yourself continuously struggling in the same sin, can I tell you today, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you know the spirit of God is living inside of you. You are at war with demons and Satan, but they're not living inside of you, having power over you. One last thing with that is the Bible says that there is strongholds that we can give Satan. So what we talked about last week was this. Unrepentant sin, I can't have a relationship with God on my own terms. He helps me. He gives me grace to be clean and holy and live with him. But if I'm holding on to sin and I'm like, all right, God, I want to have a relationship with you, but we're going this way and you better come with me, God isn't going to come, right? And so when we're living in unrepentant sin, we cut ourselves off from that fellowship and grace from God. If I'm cut off from the Holy Spirit giving me grace, what am I stuck with? Myself, which is my worst enemy, which is bent away from God in every way. And so what the Bible teaches is when we're living in unrepentant sin, we invite, it's like there's a neon sign over your head inviting demonic forces to come and attack you, tempt you, lie to you in that specific area. So I'm not here for a second trying to tell you that this isn't real, that you're not at war. If somebody convinces you that your only hope is in having somebody lay hands on you and cast something out of you, when you are in Christ, greater is he living in you than he that's in the world. If you are under attack from Satan, what you do, if there is unrepentant sin in your life, you turn to God, you repent, you put your eyes on Jesus. You look to him, he's gonna meet you, he's gonna give you grace. He, Satan does not have more power and influence over your life than him. And there are also moments where we take authority, where in Jesus' name, when Satan is attacking us, when he's coming to us in dreams or in certain crazy kinds of temptation, there is absolute license that you have in Jesus to say, Satan, get out of here in Jesus' name. You have no power over me. I'm a child of God. But please listen to that today. If that's something that confuses you, come to me. Let's talk afterwards. I'm not interested in putting my agendas on you, but I am interested in getting to what God says is true. Because if you own this thing that you're at the power of, under the power of some demon and that's why you're sinning, then you may be accepting bondage that Jesus has freed you from. And you're going to stay stuck. Um, so we're about to close. But the main three things, the picture I've just been trying to paint today is this. Each of us are in a war ultimately, above anything else, against ourselves. Our hearts don't want God. That verse says, our hearts never obeyed God, and they never will. So there is this thing in you and I that is completely bent away from God, that when we are walking in our flesh, we're cut off from the grace of God. And so you may be sitting here today, continuing to struggle Overwhelmed maybe with anxiety, depression, just feeling like, why isn't this working? And what I want to say to you is, if this is true, that you're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit, what else do you expect to happen in your life? If walking in the spirit means we are cut off from the grace of God, which is our life source, then how do I expect to have real peace, real victory, real self-control, if I'm not living through the only hope that I have, which is his spirit inside of me. My biggest issue today and your biggest issue is this. Whenever you sin, that is the quickest sign to you that you had not in that moment been walking in the spirit of God. 
That is you apart from him. You are living through your flesh instead of living through your spirit. And so what I want to just close with tonight is this. First, we all need to recognize our hearts are hopeless. If I think that I'm good and strong and enough apart from God, I am going to find myself misdirecting myself, deceiving myself, chasing after things that blow my life up, and just being in the same cycles over and over and over and over again. If I'm in a cycle, it's because I don't really know what it means to walk in the spirit, to live through this life that I've been given in God inside of my heart. And what God is wanting to teach you and I tonight isn't how to pray hard enough that you're never gonna face temptation again. It's how to rely on the life of Jesus inside of you that's gonna give you victory, power, grace to live more than conquerors in this life, to live above super peace of the gospel. The reason why Jesus did what he did is so that you could have God living inside of you. The first question is this, is he? If he's not, then you are not going to be able to integrate God into your life into some way where you're going to live a good, fulfilling life and be a good person. If you don't have God living inside of you, you're in that hopeless state that God tells us you're in. But if you're here and you've put your faith in Jesus, you literally have the God of the universe living inside of you. And a lot of times we are blinded to that reality. We're asking for God to give us something that he's already given us. Second Peter says this, everything needed for godly living has been given to you in Christ Jesus. So if you're not living a godly life in every way, walking in fellowship with God in that way, then what God is saying is, I've given you my spirit. Will you begin to look to me and trust me and bring me your heart and own the fact that apart from me, you can do nothing, that your flesh is at war against your soul, but begin to look to me and say, God, teach me. What does this mean to depend on you? One last verse. Paul, in his final chapter in his message, encouraging Timothy, says this, be strong in the grace of God. You and I have no strength today. You and I don't have godly desires. And that is exactly why God gave us his spirit. He says, it's as simple as this. You believe in me, you put your faith in me. I now come live inside of you. And I'm gonna begin to teach you what it means to trust me so that your life will be transformed. Too many of us live superficial Christian lives. Has the gospel really penetrated to every part of your life today? The areas where you're continuing to be stuck over and over and over again, do you not see that's because that's who you are apart from him? And you're not living in the life that he has for you. You're not trusting in him, living through him in those moments. He has committed himself to teaching you what that looks like for your life. But the point of this message today is this. We can't be passive we can't be naive to the fact that we're in a war. We can't not recognize that we are under attack and we don't have the strength within ourselves to be victorious against it. But we have the God of the universe living inside of us. If you don't know what it means to trust him and walk in victory, if you continue to see the same patterns over and over and over again, God isn't saying, I'm just gonna give you a moment where that thing's gonna be gone forever. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come learn of me. 
God is like, I want to teach you in a new way. If you'll bring your heart to me and not just try to keep control over your life, but just use me so that you don't do certain really bad things that you know you're not supposed to do. But you say, God, here's my entire life now. Fill me. Teach me. I realize the reason why I'm stuck is because this is who I am apart from you, and I'm living a life not depending on you. Teach me how to depend on you now. The closer we get to God, the more our daily practice and daily awareness is, God, apart from you today, I know who I am, and I know what I'm going to do. I know the places that I go. I know how I'll blow things up. But you have already, I don't have to ask for your spirit. You've given me your spirit so that I cannot be defined by my sin, but by your faithfulness. And so God, today, let this thing in me die. I surrender to you. Here's my heart. Put this flesh to death. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me how to walk in it. And as we do that, we're going to begin to see the transforming power of our God penetrate our lives in an incredible new way. So I want to just pray for us tonight. God wants to give us revelation tonight. He wants to show us how much worse off we are apart from him than we could have known. But how much hope we have in him this moment because he is with us. If I don't know how hopeless I am apart from him, I'm not gonna trust him to be the one who saves me and lives through me. Abide in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let the prayer of our heart today, I'm gonna pray over us right now, but let's make our prayer just because this is who I am. I need you to forgive me, cleanse me, and teach me now daily how to walk in your spirit how to let you lead every area of my life, how to not just give you certain parts of my life and hold the other parts back. Whatever we hold back, the reality is we are either by the spirit putting the flesh to death or our flesh is gonna be leading us to death. And so daily, God, we have to learn what it means. Surrender everything to you, God. Let our flesh be put to death. When we're convicted, we begin to see our hearts, our flesh taking back control, that we go to you that moment and say, God, forgive me, cleanse me, and fill me now. Help me to walk in the power that you've given me through your spirit. And so, God, I pray over every person here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that you came, that we could overcome the sin of our hearts, the world, and the devil, God. There is no force within us or outside of us that is greater than your love, your power, which you have given us through Jesus. Tonight, God, we confess we want to be a people who live fully in the life we were made for in you, God. We don't want to hold things back. We don't want to stay in control of our lives in certain areas. We know all of it is a lie. All of it is going to lead to things blowing up. And we want to know you and have you take control, God. And so I pray tonight that this message would bring hope to people's hearts, that you will lead them and help them learn what it means to trust in you and walk with you, that they are not slaves to sin anymore. They're not stuck in the same patterns, and this is just going to be the rest of their life. That's who they are apart from you, but you came to set us free. So God, only you can teach us what that means tonight. I pray that you will speak to each heart, that each heart, God, will be brought to a place of surrender to you. 
and that, God, we will learn what this means to be led by you, to live through you, to live the very life of Jesus. Encourage each person here tonight. Protect each person as we get home, Lord. I pray that if there are any battles that people here are facing, any discouragement, any ways that the devil is tempting them to not trust you, to think crazy about their life, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you will make your love, your grace so alive in each heart, God, that as we leave here tonight, we will leave with a sense that you are real, you love us, and there is hope in you, that you will lead us into truth. You're, apart from you, we can do nothing when we come to you with childlike faith. You restore us, you help us, you bless us, and that's all we could do tonight. But God, we do it. We put our hope and our trust in you. And I ask, Lord, encourage, speak to people, bless every person here. Bless the time we're about to have going next door. We love you so much. And we ask all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. To connect with us, visit our ministry page at brooklyntabernacle.org or you can follow us on our Instagram at sanctusnyc.org.